This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do pre- appreciate those of you that are watching today. Very likely we have some watching for the first time. Thank you for tuning in. And today we want to talk about the good life. What is the good life? We're going to be looking at a chapter in the Bible, in the New Testament, that, that paints a picture of the good life. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now today we continue to offer the free Bible correspondence course. I emphasize it is free. We want you to have it in order that you might know more about the course, that you might know how to receive the course. Let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail and it's free. To receive this course, Write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I want to be reading to you today out of the book of Romans, and we are in the 8th chapter of Romans. And I start the reading at verse 28, and I'll be reading through verse 31. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren." Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? There are many great chapters in the Bible. Today, if we wanted to study about the creation of the world, we would study the first two chapters of Genesis that began, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we wanted to study about love, we would turn to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. There are 13 verses in that chapter devoted to the subject of love. If we wanted to study the subject of the resurrection of the dead, we would turn to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, there are 58 verses in that chapter devoted to that subject. If we wanted to study the subject of faith, we would turn to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, which is sometimes referred to as faith's hall of fame. There are inscribed the names of men and women who are characters of faith. Then if we wanted to study something about the, the beginning of the church, we would turn to the second chapter of Acts because in those 47 verses in that chapter uh, is a record of how the church had its beginning. But, But if we wanted to study the riches of those who are Christians, if we wanted to study something about the best life that a person can live and the wealth and the riches that one has in that life, we would study the eighth chapter of Romans. Someone described the 8th chapter of Romans as the highest mountain peak 
in all of God's revelation. I, I read the story once about a woman down in Florida who lived in abject poverty. And when the woman died, she was malnourished. Her home was just so uh, filled with, with trash and, and the like, and it was a deplorable state, pitiful to see someone die like that. And yet, when they began to go through that woman's personal effects, they found out that that woman was a wealthy woman. Here she was, a woman of wealth. She could have been living better than she lived. She could have had food to eat. She could have nice clothes instead of going and getting her clothing at, at some secondhand store as she often did. But even though she had that wealth at her disposal, she never used it. She never took advantage of it. I think I've seen some people just about that foolish. And, and they have riches untold at their fingertips. And yet they seem to not recognize the wealth that is theirs. And that's the riches of the redeemed, the wealth that we have, the blessings that we have, the good life that we can live. It's all described in Romans chapter 8. And I want us to observe some things about this chapter. First of all, it opens with no condemnation. Notice verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. There are four things we learn here. First of all, those that are in Christ have a new position. That is, instead of being out of Jesus Christ, they are now in Jesus Christ. They have a new law, and there's a law of freedom. The law of the Spirit of Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That's in verse 2. And then there is a new way to walk. That's down in verse 9. But if you're not in the flesh, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So we have a new way to walk. We have a new model. And we're, verse 2 says that we are, or rather verse 1 says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So you see the things that we have that in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. Earlier in the book of Romans, in chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So God's wrath is here revealed, is revealed against all sin. So what will we do to be saved from the wrath of God? That's in chapter 5 and verse 9 of Romans. Back, if you turn back a page or two, and there we learn that much more than being justified by His blood, we are saved from wrath through Him. We're saved from the wrath of God by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason Paul here in Romans 8 and verse 1 says that there is therefore now 
no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You're not a condemned person. Of course, in order to be in Jesus Christ as a believer in Jesus, as a penitent believer, you're to be baptized into him. In, over in the sixth chapter of Romans, in verse 3, the Bible says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Christ, did put on Christ. Now Romans 8 and 1 says, There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. The way we get into Christ, according to Romans 6, 3, is we're baptized into Him. As a believer, as a penitent believer, as a confessing believer, we're to be baptized into Jesus Christ. And so there is no condemnation. That is wealth untold. But secondly, from Romans chapter 8, we learn that there's no alienation. Go down to verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And if you've not, for you've not received the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears, beareth witness with our spirit that we're the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You see, there's no alienation. You're now an heir of God. You're in the family. Suppose someone were to uh, knock on your door, and they came with the news to you that, it had been discovered that you were an heir of the late Sam Walton. Now, don't get excited. I don't believe this is going to happen. You, you say, well, what, what would that mean to me? Well, this person says that means that you have a right to some of that which was left by the late Sam Walton. And when the person leaves, you begin to think about what you can do with all of that money. You can pay off the mortgage on the house and you can pay off your car and you can send your, your children to college and, and you just think one thing right after another because now it's been learned that you're an heir of some man who left a lot of money. But I'm going to tell you something that's better than that. You can be an heir of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You, you can be an heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be a joint heir with Jesus, with, with, with Jesus Christ. And so we are not alienated from God. We are an heir of God. But then a third thing we learn is that there is no disintegration. Look in verse 18. For I reckon, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed uh, in us. We may fall down in the dust. But we're going to rise again. You see, you don't keep Christians down. He said, whatever happens to me in this life, the sufferings of this present time, the sufferings of this life are not worthy. They're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us in the future. So there is no disintegration we're going to rise again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, there the apostle wrote, For which cause we faint not? For though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, 
worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal, that is temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And so the things that happen to us in this life are just temporary. But we're going to be blessed in the future by those things that are going to be eternal in their nature. And so there is no disintegration. Then there is no isolation. Look in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. This is the Holy Spirit. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is not what the Holy Spirit is doing to us. It's what the Holy Spirit does for the Christian within the realm of God's divine will and providence. I believe this verse with all of my heart, and I believe that it is teaching that sometimes there are things that we try to pray over, to pray about, and we may not know how to fully express ourselves to God and there are times that the Spirit itself makes intercession for us. He intercedes for us. We don't get excited when we talk about Jesus interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. We, we don't get excited when we think about the fact that we are to uh, pray intercessory prayers for other people. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks should be made for all men. So, so why should it be strange to, 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 to learn that the Holy Spirit can intercede for us before God? And this, again, I repeat, this is not what the Holy Spirit is doing to us, but on our behalf, for us. There have been times in my life, in our family, with my wife, when there were, were issues that we had to deal with, serious things that had been heartbreaking, and we prayed about it, but it was very difficult, very difficult to find the words that needed to be said. And I believe in times like that when we're not are sure what we need to say and how we need to say it, and we, we, we know in our heart what we want to say, but it just won't come out. And I believe that's when the, the, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And you're not an isolated person. There's no isolation. But next we learn that in our life there is no miscalculation. Look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to His purpose. And that verse t touches the realm of God's providence. And sometimes there's a, a misunderstanding about the providence of God. A and sometimes people think that, that this is dealing with the realm of the miraculous. It is not. That the God works in the lives of people within the parameters of His revealed will. 
that there is God's general providence where God is providing for people whether they are Christians or not. He makes the sun to rise and to fall on the evil and on the good. He makes the, the rain to fall on the evil and on the good. He, he, he allows the evil and the good to have access to the air that's breathed. You see, that's within the realm of, of God's general providence. But there's a realm of God's special providence where there are things that God will do on behalf of certain ones, specific ones. And that's what verse 28 is talking about. The, the, the providence of God is positive in its announcement. He said, for we know there wasn't any speculation in Paul's mind. He said, this is what we know. This is something I know. I know this. We know that all things, you see, the providence of God is all-inclusive. Now, we're not uh, trying to say that the evil things that would be done in the life of an individual would be included in these all things. But he says that all things, we know that all things. And then he says, work together for good. And so the, the providence of God is harmonious. That all things work together. Sometimes it might be difficult for us to see how the things in our lives are working together. Working in harmony one with the other, for the ultimate good. I know it's difficult to see that. I think when Joseph was sold by his brothers into Egypt and he was in that hole in the ground waiting for the slave traders to come by, I don't believe Joseph thought that was good for him. But later in life, when he was in the land of Egypt and had prepared for the famine that was coming and his brothers came then to get food, not realizing that he was alive, when he revealed himself to them, they were frightened, but he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, it took some time for Joseph to see that all things work together. They work together. But then the providence of God is beneficent. He said all things work together for good, that is, for our benefit. We might not think it's for our benefit at the time. I remember when I was about 16 years old that my dad came home and told us that he had lost his job. And, and, and eventually, he said, we're going to be moving. And we're going to be moving from Tennessee to Alabama. July the 4th, 1959, we moved to Alabama. That was the worst day of my life. I was leaving behind all of the friends that I'd had all my life. We were leaving behind family. And I thought, there's no good that could be out, come out of this. But you see, had that move not been made, I, I would have not come under the influence of some gospel preachers who had a tremendous impact on my life. The late V.P. Black was a mentor of mine. And I will always love and appreciate him. And then there was another gospel preacher by the name of Paul D. Murphy, who when I began preaching, helped me 
tutored me, counseled me, and even sometimes he would get on to me. One day he told me, he said, Billy, you either need to put more fire in your sermons or you need to put your sermons in the fire. So, so these are the people that helped me. But I would not have met them had my daddy not lost his job. And I am convinced, as I, as I can be, that I'm preaching to you right now on getting to know your Bible because my daddy lost his job back there about 1958. We moved to Alabama in 59. You see, all things work together for good. I couldn't see it at the time, but I can see it today. But then the providence of God is restricted. It's restricted. This is in the realm of God's special providence. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. If people don't love the Lord, this doesn't involve them. It's to people that love the Lord. And he also says, and to them who are the called. You know, Paul said in the Thessalonian letter, we're called by the gospel. Those who are the called according to his purpose. And so we're called by the gospel. This, is, this promise is to people that have obeyed the gospel by believing on Jesus and repenting of their sins and confessing their faith in Christ and being baptized and living a faithful Christian life and, and in the lives of people who are trying to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. You see, there is no miscalculation. But then again, there's no accusation. I want you to notice verse uh, uh, 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? You see, there is no accusation. No one can bring an accusation against you. With God on your side, no one, I say no one, can be against you. There is no accusation. But then finally, there's no separation. Now that takes us to verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written... For thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now verse 37, listen please. Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Let me read that again. In all things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no 
separation. That is, love for Christ triumphs over all. And His love for us triumphs over all. That's not to say that a person cannot begin to become weak and careless and indifferent and separate himself from God. He can. An example of that is in Acts the 8th chapter, verses 17 and following. But long as we're living that faithful Christian life, we have no separation. This chapter begins, no condemnation. It ends with no separation. Now, now I want you to think with me. Isn't that the kind of a life that you would like to have? A, a life where you're not condemned, you don't go around feeling guilty all the time and condemned all the time, and a, a life where you don't feel alienated from God, a, a life where you don't feel like that, that you're isolated and nobody wants to do anything to help you, and a life where God is for you and nobody's against you, and a life that ends with no separation. My friend, that life can be yours. All one must do is to make up his or her mind. That's for me. That, that's the good life. That's what I want. Life in Christ. And I would urge you to give yourself to him. I'd urge you today to do it. Jesus loves you. I love you. More importantly, you need to love the Lord. You need to love Him enough that you're willing to say, Lord, I want to serve you all the days of my life. I want to give my life to you. You do that by believing on Him, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him, by being baptized, Jesus said, this is not Billy, this is Jesus. This is not Church of Christ doctrine, this is New Testament doctrine. It is doctrine. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And the Church of Christ should teach it. All of us should teach it because it's what Jesus said. If you want that good life, why don't you do that today? Some of you have been thinking about your baptism. We know that from the studies that you're taking. Don't think any longer. Don't hesitate. But take care of that matter as soon as you possibly can. If you need assistance, let us know. We'll help you. Now, in the closing, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, 
Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.